Irene had bad teeth. She'd needed braces as a child, but never got them. And so now, as an adult, her teeth stuck out at odd angles, giving her the appearance of someone who had needed braces, but never got them. She would come to Bible study and yell at me. That's not what the Bible means. Pastor Molly, you are wrong. Irene was one of my favorites. And one of the most faithful. One of her daughters had a friend who needed a place to live in high school. And Irene went out and got the drywall and two-by-fours, the hammers and the nails, and clothes in the family's dining room to make an extra bedroom. Irene was not a polished person, but she knew that that child needed a safe place to live more than Irene's family needed a dining room. Irene was not a polished person in a place of highly polished people. She was the kind of person people might call salt of the earth. As the Rolling Stones put it in a song of that title, Irene was a good, hard-working, ragtaggy person, humble of birth. I think as awful as this is, I sometimes apologize to my more polished church members and friends for Irene's bad teeth. I may have even called her salt of the earth kind of person, with the subtext being she's not as sophisticated as you or I, but she really is good and trustworthy, which is all about my arrogance and my insecurity. And I think that when we say salt of the earth, in that context, Jesus does a head plant and says, you just don't get it. You, polished, unpolished, arrogant and humble, you are all the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, there is no doubt that most people on the mountain that day when Jesus said those words were good, hardworking, ragtaggy, humble people. But that's not what Jesus meant by salt of the earth. We think of salt as common and ordinary. And that's where we get that connotation. But salt was anything but. We crave salt because our bodies have to have it. Because we'll die without salt. Salt makes our hearts beat, our blood flow, our muscles contract, our brain sends signals to our nerves. You are the salt of the earth. You are necessary for life 
as God would have it. You. You. Make love flow. And you are the salt of the earth. It is part of the biblical law that the priests in the temple must ensure that salt is a part of every offering that is brought to the temple. Because salt is incredibly valuable. At one point in time, it was ounce for ounce worth gold. People were paid in salt. That's where we get our word salary. You are greatly valued. And salt was a sign of God's everlasting covenant. And this is where Jesus is relating this back to the law and the prophets. You are part of the everlasting covenant that God has made with the people of Israel. You are part of that. It's called a covenant of salt. Everlasting, permanent. God loves you forever. And God will work forever for healing and justice and love and joy. You are a sign of that love and justice and joy for humanity. You are the salt of the earth. It would be absurd to let salt get ruined. Don't lose your saltiness. It would be absurd to waste light. Our earth stewards are always telling us to turn off the lights. And when you have children, you say that all the time. When you leave a room, turn off the lights. Do not waste electricity. In scripture, God leads the Hebrew slaves to freedom with a pillar of fire. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our eyes. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Light is God's presence in the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the presence of God in the world. You are the light of the world. I am sure there were children in the crowd on the mountain that day when Jesus spoke about salt and light. There were mothers holding babies and there were toddlers running around. There were teenagers Snapchatting each other. And it was good for everyone there to hear that all people are valued. The little children, the older people, everyone. And it was good for everyone there to know that God's light shines in the world for the young and the old. Now, in this season of justice, where children are our leaders, I have loved hearing our children, our young people, talk about God's call on their lives. And I have loved seeing, seeing their leadership and as they talk about matters of justice. And I am so proud of our young people, and I am inspired 
and I have hope. But I don't believe that God intends or desires for our young people to carry such a heavy burden, to carry the weight of so much responsibility. As I was thinking about this sermon, I picked up the Washington Post magazine, which Caroline and I always do the seek and find on the last page, right, 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 we got all 12, and, and Date Lab, they never work out. I read it every Sunday or Saturday with the hope that it will work out. And, and at the end, I'm like, you people are so stupid. But yesterday, the very cover of that New York Times magazine, or the Washington Post magazine, was about children being crushed by the anxiety of feeling that they have a responsibility to save the planet from climate change. You've seen the posters. I won't die of old age. That's what they are hearing. And the story was how they were crushed. Under that weight. So I've been doing a lot of thinking and praying about what it means for children to be our leaders for justice. And this is where I am. When my daughters were babies, I could be sound asleep and still be awakened by their cry and wake up my husband and say, you go. <laughs> there are millions of children who are crying out in fear for the future of our world, in fear for their lives now, hungry, homeless, and my friends, we are the adults in the room. So I believe God is calling them to lead by crying out and waking us up. And so that we go to them and find out, are they hungry? Are they sick? Are they scared? We are the salt of the earth. We have value that we can give our children valuable lessons. Jesus called us and blessed us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be peacemakers. We are the light of the world, and we must offer that light of hope to our children. We cannot continue to speak only the darkness of despair. There is hope. I know, I read it in the Washington Post magazine yesterday. How can our children possibly lead in science or technology or in healthcare, in imagination and creativity without hope? We are the ones to tell them they are valued and to see their value 
and to shine a light of hope in the world and to hear them cry out, for that is our hope as well. I think that's how they are our leaders, to wake us By the time I knew Irene, she had a dining room again, which was great because Irene was the church lady who loved to have everybody over to her house, which sometimes you can't find people who love to have everybody over to their house. But Irene loved this, and she loved having parties, and she loved inviting people over to play cards at her dining room table. So it was great, but... It was more wonderful that she had her dining room back because that friend of her daughter had graduated from high school and had moved out to go to college. Irene had kept her safe and then sent her on her way. She taught her that she was valued. Yes, Irene is the salt of the earth. She knows that God loves her and God values her and God called her to share that love and to show this girl that she was loved and valued. Irene is the light of the world. She's shown a path for that girl to go to college. She gave light for the hope for the future. These the light of that girl's world. And that's what Jesus means when he says that we are salt and we are light. So let's be salty. And let's be light. 